So, good afternoon. Uh, This is Elise Wakerman, the author of A Tale of Two Citizens, and I have the pleasure of speaking (laughs) today to someone I actually met on Twitter, of all things. Uh, You know, we have this modern world to help us realize how far back we go together. And then the tweet said, if I may, uh, from um, Helen Marilis Shankman, Hey, Elise. Is your family from Vladova? My mother was, and uh, uh, she has first cousins with the last name Wakerman. Oh, my God, I think we're cousins. <laughs> <laughs> that was compelling. That was something more than just, okay, I'll just like this. You know? <laughs> I'll just hit the little star and be on my way to the next thing. So we now are we're talking with uh, Helen Marilis Shankman, the author of uh, The Color of Light, and uh, she is also working on a book of short stories. Helen, before we go into our history, I did want to say that it's possible that one of the most wonderful reviews I've ever seen uh, is in association with your book, The Color of Light, where the author or the writer of the review says, it seriously pained me to have to do things other than read this book. <laughs> yeah, I love that also. That was you know, great. What, what, right. I mean, what else can you say? What else can you want to hear? So anyway, it's been really wonderful being in touch with you. And um, how, here's a question for you. How did you discover me... Vladova as as a major city in my book. How did all that come to pass? How did it cross your attention? Um, I was doing some I was doing some research on Vladova, okay. and um, I I I have been doing research on Vladova online for several years for my series of short stories, um, and and so whenever I found anything on Vladova, I would click on it. So it's funny because we have these mutual cousins. Uh, in, in Yiddish, it's Wackerman. And um, so I, I knew their story a bit, and I knew their name was Wackerman, so I clicked on Wackerman and Vladova, expecting it to be the cousins, and there was your book. There was, a, I guess, a preview of your book with the name Wackerman, and Vladova, and then I think I saw the names of my cousins appearing in there, if I recall correctly. And mm-hmm. then I immediately rushed and looked you up on Twitter to see if you were there. Okay. Um, I was, yes. So and that was a, just serendipitous. Absolutely. That's just amazing. So if you type in the word Vladova or Vladova, um, mm-hmm. which, by the way, uh, for people who aren't familiar with that town, which is probably most people, it's... Um, <laughs> It's um, southeast of Warsaw, about a four-hour drive. I don't know the kilometer count. And, it's, you know, maybe you're going to turn it into the, you know, the famous, like uh, Faulkner had his famous town, which I can't say. <laughs> but, uh, so this, is e- this actually <laughs> does have the advantage of being easier to say than Faulkner's famous southern town. Um, you know, that you will, you'll put it on the map. And uh, do most of your stories take place there? They all take place there. Uh, there's one, uh, they're either in it 
or around it. Like there's a farm outside of Ladova that one of the stories takes place in, and then there's um, an estate uh, a few kilometers away that takes place there. But all the characters are connected to Ladova because that's the big that's the big nearby city, even though it's not really a big city. It's not a big city at all. I did have the privilege of uh, traveling there in relation to um, doing the research for my book because I just feel so strongly, and I'm sure you agree, that it always helps to actually go to a place. Oh, yeah. And I was, I was really interested in um, how it smelled. I like to know how places smell. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, I, I actually collected a whole bunch of leaves from trees in Lukov and Warsaw and Krakow and Vladova and Stotsky, wow. which we'll get to in a minute. And the expert driver and, um, you know, our guide, we hired a guide slash translator for one day to help us find the house in Stotsky, which is the farmhouse that you're probably referring to. And this was a very knowledgeable man. He knew he was a Polish guy, very, very reminiscent of the, character in Everything is Illuminated by Jonathan Schaefer. <laughs> you know what I mean? The kind of, because there has been, uh, yeah. in Poland, an industry has grown up around taking returning Jews around to their, you know, ancestral homes. Uh-huh. And he was terrific, and he was very, very conscientious. But he got, and he knew all kinds of World War II and Holocaust history, and he was just unbelievably helpful, which perhaps we'll talk about later, but it annoyed the heck out of him that with all his knowledge and studiousness and background information, I kept asking, what kind of tree is that? (laughs) (laughs) He didn't study that. (laughs) He didn't, you know, that's not his field. And it's like, (laughs) but I wanted to know, is it a linden? Is it a cottonwood? Is it an elm? So when I'm writing the book, Mm -hmm. I can, you know, I can, that was, I don't know why that became very important to me. So, um, but he did, on the other hand, uh, just to uh, underscore how wonderful he was, when uh, our mutual cousin, Brunya, and we'll explain how she's related to us, um, she did send me a photograph of the house where the Wakerman family dwelled. And it was a farm, and um, she didn't, let me know that the Gentile, what was so unusual about this living setup is that the Wakermans shared the house with the Hondras, so it was a Jewish family and a Gentile family sharing a farm and a farmhouse in Poland. Just totally unbelievable. But anyway, I wrote to Chris, the driver slash translator, that I really wanted to find this house. And he wrote back uh, such an optimistic line, if you have the photograph, we have no choice but to find the house. Wow. You know, so that was really very, very encouraging. Yeah. So so what is it about Vladova that has so captured your imagination? Um, You know, my mother used to tell these stories about her village, her town. Mm-hmm. And to me, it sounded like when she said the word Vladova, it sounded like Bloodville, oh, which wow. sounded like a joke. You know, it was like mm. we would we would tease her about the name of her town. So um, I was not interested at all in in the Holocaust until I was really a grown up, and you know, it was the sort of thing you want to leave behind you. 
So, uh, but then I found that I wanted to write a story that was t- that would tie that would tie my mother's stories with some of my experiences growing up, I guess, as a Holocaust survivor and also art. Uh, sorry, a child of Holocaust survivors and also art school. And I, in the course of researching, you know, my book, I just clicked. I typed the word Vladova in, and I clicked on images. And this adorable town came up. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so charming, and it looked like the you know Greenwich Village, only painted in pretty colors. And I really, it just captured my imagination. Hearing my mother's, hearing all the the World War II stories, you don't think about beautiful little towns. You know, you think. Nazis rounding up Jews, you don't think beautiful, picturesque little town. Mm-hmm. So after that, I was just fascinated. But what about you? And, and yeah, the sorry. word, the Bloodville thing, is that what gave <laughs> rise to the vampire tie-in? Because you could mention. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the right. Maybe some, sort of, that's right. Could be subconscious. Yeah. Maybe subconsciously. Oh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. See, my vision of Ladova. I don't see it as pastel and pretty. I see it as quite mm-hmm. gray. And, of course, mm-hmm. you know, so much history has intervened, and you might have found it. I'd love to see it, the link to that particular picture because, okay. you know, between the Holocaust, where, you know, Vladova was the, the site of a ghetto mm-hmm. um, and a labor camp, and um, also, you know, so not only do you have the Holocaust, but you also have the, you know, multi-decade reign of uh, the Soviet Union, so right. which is not really given to pastels and pretty places. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's, they're into big stone monuments and boulevards and gray, right. and, you know, we are important. So by the time I got to it, which was in 2006, I visited in 2006, and I was at just at the point, I should maybe just say a few words, that A Tale of Two Citizens was inspired by the story of my father's emigration to the United States. What I knew, I discovered in an envelope with photographs and some documents. That was it. But what I did learn is that he entered the United States illegally. So he was, I'm the child of an illegal alien. (laughs) <laughs> and at first I thought that I was a dreamer, but it turns out I'm not because dreamers actually were brought to this country before, you know, like before the age of 12 or something like that. So I'm not, a, I am a dreamer, but not in that, you know, particular specific sense. Um, and I thought, my God, I never knew him. He was three when I died. So what I had here was a very dramatic um, narrative. And I decided I was going to write a novel about it, not only because it was very compelling to me, like why was he, why did he do this? Why did he mm-hmm. enter illegally? What made it illegal? And and rather than research it and do a memoir about Hyman Wakerman's life, I was really drawn to the idea of just filling it in and using my imagination and being mm-hmm. a dreamer in that sense of the word. Mm-hmm. And my mother had told me that he was from a place called Brestlitovsk, which it turns out in a certain way, you know, the borders of Poland throughout history have kept changing, like mm-hmm. Germany takes a piece and Russia takes a piece, and, right. and so constantly the borders are shifting. And it's possible that uh, when he was born, mm-hmm. it, it was called Brestlitovsk, and it's not mm-hmm. far, 
and he, mm-hmm. he might have even been born Russian. So for all I know, he's like doubly like uh, illegal because he said he was from Poland, but maybe when he was born, he was from Russia. Um, but anyway, so the word Vladova actually appeared in probably for the first time, to my knowledge, in this envelope that I found when my mother died, and there were oh, documents, wow. and there it was. Wow. And uh, my what what said about my imagination, because like you, I didn't really want to know all this stuff. You know, mm-hmm. my father died when I was practically a toddler. I wanted to keep him perfect and his past just, you know, flawless. And there were pictures in this envelope also of a young woman and a young boy. And uh, so I pretty much put it together that he entered this country because he had to. The only way he could enter in 1929 legally was to say he was not married. But just before he was about to set out on his trip, his girlfriend told him that she was pregnant. So he did the right thing and he married her. Wow. But he didn't change his visa. So the minute they asked him at Ellis Island, married... And he said, no, he was, uh, you know, he was an outlaw. <laughs> wow. I mean, it's not laughable. So, um, I mean, it is only in the sense that he was such a kind of understated, modest young man, humble, head down, do the work, try to make money. But, mm-hmm. you know, to bring his family over, he was the youngest son, um, or he was actually the oldest son in his family, but the, the only one, he was very young to want to come over. Like the other brothers were not interested, but he was very interested in coming to the United States. So uh, from there, I just wanted to also explore the other side of the issue. That's where the other citizen comes in. And um, see, you know, because there are two sides to every story, and Mm -hmm. I'm not just going to have the government of the United States be the big bad wolf. they had very, very similar attitudes in 1930 as they do today, that, that immigrants are coming in and um, tainting the purity of the country, taking jobs away from, quote-unquote, real Americans. And uh, there were investigators. And so I zeroed in on one of the uh, uh, immigration officials who made it his life's work to try to go through all the files and find people who had entered fraudulently. So the minute that those two situations and those two characters are introduced, you know, a, a, a very dramatic uh, kind of cat and mouse thing uh, begins. And, um, and I did kind of take the story from Iowa, which is where the immigration official is from, uh, to New York City, where they both lived for a while. And Harry, the immigrant, becomes increasingly aware that he might be followed, that he might be under surveillance. And, um, and, so we, and we follow also the life of Will, who is the immigration official, who is married to his high school sweetheart, and she and Harry meet. So this was kind of an interesting thing. I'm sure you find this, that things develop as you're writing that you didn't necessarily plan. And it turns out that um, that Harry, because Barbara Brown, the wife of Will Brown, is such a kind and friendly and all-American girl, he takes solace from her and, and does have something of a crush on her. 
So and and then of course I did have to keep us in touch with the Polish relatives. So mm-hmm. the book kind of goes from you know I I guess you could say the two um, landmark places are a farm in Iowa and a farm in Bladova, Poland. Mm-hmm. So that required a lot of research on both sides, and uh, I think a kind of interesting contrast. Um, so it turns out that you and I, I think, have zeroed in on the way in which we are related, which is that we're not. <laughs> we're not. <laughs> so goodbye. No, we're not really related, but it's such, it's so wonderful to me because the person that you are related to was the wife of one of my father's brothers, I believe. Right. Is that correct? Right. And, uh, and yes. She and, yeah. So why don't you expand on that a little bit, that relationship? Um, that re- my, um, the be- I, I actually uh, emailed my cousin Frank to see if he could clarify for me. He believes that um, my grandmother and Itka, um, who married Wackerman, um, yeah. were first cousins. Um, so my mother uh, and Itka Wackerman's daughter, Bronya, would have been, I guess, second cousins? Right. So, that, right. Um, that, so that's how we come to the Wakermans. Um, and right. my mother and, uh, and Bronya were very close. They're both, you know, in Vladova. And I, I'm, I think, and I, I should probably ask Bronya about this, I'm pretty sure that she, at some point she was probably hiding in, a, uh, in some kind of bunker or cellar that belonged to my mother's family, maybe before they went to oh, the farm. Interesting. Um, well, your mother was, was from Vodova. Right. Right? And they, right. the Wakermans, were living in a town about 10 minutes outside of Vodova called Stavki. And that's okay. where the farmhouse was. And when, okay. and when we figured that out, Jeff and I and Chris, the, the driver, translator, drove into this abandoned-looking house. I mean, I could see it was wow. the house. I uh-huh. wouldn't say abandoned. It was in disrepair. You know, I okay. mean, like the front white gate and the, there's always a Catholic shrine in, in front of mm-hmm. every single house. Uh, but it was really not so much a town as like an intersection of six dirt roads. You know? Wow. And, uh, and there was the house. I had the snapshot in my hands, and there were columns in front. And this was definitely wow. the house, you know, and this wow. big old tree, which I have since learned is a cottonwood, and I'm happy to call it a cottonwood <laughs> in the book. <laughs> Many dramatic things happened there. And, and so we pulled in, and dogs start rushing toward the car. And, of course, that's not my favorite thing. I'm not a big dog person, <laughs> and especially uh-huh. not as a Jew in Poland, driving uh-huh. onto the property of a Christian family. Oh, my God. Uh, you know, a little scary. But Jeff and Chris got out of the car, and then mm-hmm. I saw the dogs were just fine. And, okay. uh, and then this old, old man came out of the house, and it turns out his name is Handra which just sent a chill down my body because I knew that the family that saved your cousin Itka and her two children, that family was named Handra. So it's like, oh my God, they, this family, this Handra family 
has lived in this house forever. Since yeah. my father lived there as a teenager. Yeah. And they're sense. still there. Yeah. The farmers, yeah. you know, they stay on the land. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I um, think, and then, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Have you seen the that testimony? The Hadra's testimony? That, that, yes, I have. And they have been mm-hmm. uh, recognized at Yad Vashem as mm-hmm. uh, righteous Gentiles. And they did risk their lives to hide. Uh, what happened was that my father's brother, who was called Yitzhak in the novel, he fell mm-hmm. in love and was having an affair with a Christian Pole in Warsaw. And he became increasingly absent from the family home. And basically, my father had left the United States, and then his other brother also did. And, and also they brought over his mother. So basically, Itka, who I call Hava in the book, mm-hmm. was left with her two children and the Hondra family. And she was terrified. And perhaps, I think you're right, at first they went to Vladawa where there was some kind of camp, and maybe they did yeah. hide with your parents, your mm-hmm. mother's family. And then the Hondras became perhaps increasingly dangerous to be there because they were rounded up, and it's possible right. that my father wrote a letter to Mr. Hondra. I don't know. but mm-hmm. So Mr. Hondra, anyway, the Hondra family helped Itka and her children escape from Vladova and hid them in the barn at the farm where I was standing. And so one of so I'm just freaking out because you know to me I'm satisfied here's the house but no mm-hmm. now here are people <laughs> who lived through this drama and not only that because the old man's son who was about like in his fifties a very kind of strapping mm-hmm. and handsome looking guy actually mm-hmm. he comes slowly out and he's freaking out because he's grown up hearing about the Wakerman family wow that that his father when he was a teenager mm-hmm. and grandfather had hidden. So he can't believe that a Wakerman is standing in his front yard. And I can't believe that I'm standing and looking at Hondras. So it was wow. just, this, you know, there was no yeah. language. There was no verbal language between us at all. These people, mm-hmm. he, I mean, uh, this guy, Valdeck, he couldn't even say the word yes, no, okay. And I, you know, right. I can say Shankuya, that's it. I can say thank you. <laughs> Um, you know, when I was there, I think I had a few more phrases at my beck um, and call, but basically limited. So we're just kind of, you know, all of us, without language, so close and so amazed by each other. You know, it was just this amazing moment, and, and that extended into four hours. They welcomed us into their home. They walked with wow. me into the Boog River, which I had always wanted to see. That's uh-huh. where I had heard yeah. that, the, you know, they used to swim, and in the winter they would ice uh-huh. skate. Right. And it was across this very plush and beautiful, like right out of a Fellini movie. We were walking through fields of wheat oh, and wildflowers, mm-hmm. and the sun mm-hmm. was just west, you know, in, in the western wow. sky. And it was just... Is this happening? Is this really yeah. happening? So it was uh, a great thing. And, uh, and, and so now to have discovered you and the, because the Hava character, um, based on my Aunt Itka, who was married to a Wakerman, she is not a blood relative of mine, but she certainly mm-hmm. captured my imagination as a child. And, mm-hmm. and she really got a pretty, you know, 
bad oh, end gosh. of the stick. My I gosh, know. can you believe it? Mm. I mean, I know. He abandoned his family during the Holocaust. It's like, yeah. there must have yeah. been other people like that, but wow, just wow. I know, I know. So anyway, um, now, so, and it's also yeah. interesting, even if we're not related blood-wise, mm-hmm. and the word blood, like blood over. Um, <laughs> so, so aside from the possible just sound of the town's name, mm-hmm. um, what led you to vampires? Oh, well, um, what led me to vampires? I was, um, well, it, the, the idea of outsiders, there were two things. I had this, these stories in the past, and I had stories in the present. And I mm-hmm. needed something to bridge the past and the present. So um, vampires live forever. So it occurred to me that this would be a way for him to tell the girl. That, uh, that character's name is um, Tessa, this girl who comes to an art school, and she meets the uh, founder of the art school, who rumors are that he's a vampire. It turns out the rumors are all true. And just, it turns out that he knew her, uh, he knew someone that was very close to her, you know, someone related to her. Uh, he was in love with her, you know, a fellow art student in 1939. So it became a, a wonderful device for, te- for, first of all, our artists are sort of, I feel like they're, we, and when I say artists, I mean also writers and people who produce music. They're outside mm-hmm. of regular life because they see things a little differently. They feel things a little differently, and they do things differently. You know, they, they record what they see, or they, they make something out of nothing. They're, mm-hmm. you know, they're up at night. <laughs> they're up all night, and they get up late in the day. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it became um, a good device. Um, but also, you know, kind of standing in for the outsider, and the Jews were the outsiders in Poland, even though that character is right. not Jewish. But whatever, all those things worked together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Those stories, uh, that book, The Color of Light, and my working with the blood of a part of the story, in which I also used It Goes Story, by the way, um, that led me, I became more and more interested in working with the Holocaust and the magical aspects and using magic to tell stories. Uh, I can't right. write, you know how you're, you're trying to tell your father's story, but at the same time, I, I don't know about for you, I can't write nonfiction. For me, nonfiction, it just falls flat on the page when I try to tell what really happened because there's so much I don't know. So right. using... Right. Yeah. Well, I've written so using, nonfiction, but oh, it's more okay. of a study. I wrote a book called Father Loss, like, um, uh-huh. and that is actually a study, an investigation, uh, and it's the first one ever written of the uh, long and short-term impact of father absence on girls. Oh, wow. So I have been, I mean, it's, it's kind of ironic that, you know, my father, who I never knew, well, it's not ironic because that's what writing is also. It's filling in, you know, and it's mm-hmm. taking yeah. those gaps and those voids mm-hmm. and trying to put something into them. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, my first, uh, um, when I realized, because, you know, as a young college student slash recent graduate of college, 
I was very interested in psychology, and I think most reader, most writers and readers are very interested in psychology, like what makes people tick. And I was very interested. I knew that my father's absence had a huge influence on how I viewed myself and how I viewed the world and my expectations and all that. And I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find any scientific, psychological literature. There was a ton of stuff about boys and no fathers and girls and no mothers and boys and mm-hmm. no mothers. But there was really nothing out there to help me understand it. So wow. uh, along with a woman I know who is a psychologist, she put together a pilot study mm-hmm. where almost uh, 700 women participated and I did a lot of interviews. I tell my story, and then I, I branch out and tell other stories. And, uh, you know, I think I wrote a seminal book. There have been now many others. Uh, my book is going to be republished, actually, in November. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, so I'm very proud of that book. And, and that it was a study, and it was like, oh, my God. Oh, look at this. Oh, dear. Oh, I was, you know, it's like all these things started coming together. Hmm. Um, but when it came to um, telling his story, this was really Father Lost was more the story of the daughters. And I, at that time and until quite recently, I just wanted, as I said earlier, I just wanted to keep him perfect, looking out mm-hmm. for me from heaven and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Father knows mm-hmm. best and blah, blah, blah. You know, because he never had to be bothered by being actually a human being in my <laughs> mind. <laughs> it just be this, this uh, untarnished idol. Mm-hmm. But then when I found all these papers and these photographs and the story, like you, I didn't want to just do base it on research. I wanted to let my mind and my imagination flow and um, to see what I could discover. I think you discover so much when you're writing fiction. You know, there are oh, yeah. truths that reside there that I don't know mm-hmm. if you find in the area of fact. So, mm-hmm. so um, Helen, it has been such a pleasure. I'd love to talk to you about um, more about our cousins, but I think that, or just the fact, I feel that even though it's not maybe biologically true, I do feel like I have a new cousin in the world. <laughs> and it's wonderful that, you know, when you think about Itzel Wakerman, who had such a, kind of tragic experience being she was a, a rather provincial woman you know and she knew to be a mother and she knew to be um, a farm woman she knew her way mm-hmm. around the kitchen she knew her way around children she was so dedicated to her children and um, that at least two authors on the on the face of the earth have written about her you know it's just <laughs> such a Tribute. It's just such an unexpected and wonderful thing. So, um, your book, the your first book, The Color of Light. I know you're working on. A, a, yes, my next a, book is um, in the land of armadillos. Uh, that's I the one that's that. a collection of short stories that are all taking place in and around Lava. Cordova. And where, um, where, when can we expect that? Let's oh, that's going to be uh, February second. Um, February second this year. Well, terrific. Maybe we can, I'm hoping we'll talk before then. I'm going to be yes. on the East Coast in October. That would be great. So I'm very happy to meet my new cousin-in-law. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? Let's try. Do you get to, into the city? 
That would be fine. And I, yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Uh, I hope that uh, A Tale of Two Citizens is something that you will read, and certainly your book of short Absolutely. stories on the color of light is something I will read. And, and there will be Chava, a.k.a. Itka, um, <laughs> kind of lighting with her small light, kind of uh, helping us to discover what stories we want to tell. It's really oh, yes. great. Yes. And uh, thanks a lot. 